Welcome to Market Proof Marketing, the weekly podcast from the Marketing Minds at duconvert.com, where we talk about the current state of all things digital and how they impact home builders and developers around the globe. We're not here to sell you, we're here to help you and to try and elevate the conversation. I'm Kevin Oakley, and with me today, as always, is the ad doctor, Andrew P. As always, and it's episode 104, and Becca is joining us this week. Hi. She is here. It's great. Uh, <laughs> and next week, sneak peek, it's I will not be here. I will be on vacation. Oh, so oh. you never know what's going to happen when slogan, Kevin's out. Like, what are the happy right? car dealerships? Boss is away. We have to sell every... Ha- a car this week they're <laughs> making something up you know it's some something obviously a lie um, yeah we'll we'll do that something is awesome yeah i'll get the recording link from Thais yeah who and, knows mike might yeah. take over again andrew oh, might do find some people uh do the honors Thais may show up and take over the whole Ooh. show who knows yeah, Thais? yeah hey i guess we'll talk about it now too we have uh, two new team members joining us at do you convert I'm this super month excited. in july me too i'm not going to tell you yet who they are yet, but um, they'll also be adding their voice to the program. One uh, has over 14 years of experience in home nice. building. Oh, she yes. knows everything. Excited about that one. And the other one has been in home building, I think, for three years, but is wicked smart. You guys are going to love getting to know yeah. her as well. That could so. be a quick like two-minute talk if we want to talk about as far as expanding your marketing team, when it is a good time. I know we're different because we are digital focused, but I think yeah, and we're breaking the rules in that we don't need more people. We're not we are breaking the bringing rules. on. If we don't have twelve builder partners slated to start, you know, next week, and we've got a but. So all that to say, Andrew, most time when you're going to the boss in a in a home builder scenario, you've got to make a case of how is this going to get us more sales, like yeah, very mm-hmm. quickly. So we're breaking that rule, but a lot of the other rules would be very correct in terms of that discussion. I think that's yeah. Let's tee that up for yeah. That'd be a fun one. Maybe when I get back and we'll have one of them Ooh, on and yeah. see yeah, that's good. what their thoughts are. Yeah. All right. Let, let's hop into story time. I don't think, last chance, I don't think anyone else has story time. So I'm going to throw out a couple different things from this past week because it's been busy. And, you know, pre-vacation, post-vacation. Mm-hmm. The team's awesome. You guys will take care of a lot of stuff while I'm out. But when it comes to interacting with our builder partners on coaching calls, that's my job. So <laughs> we, we, we've loaded up. So I've got lots of different thoughts in my brain here. First, and this is partly a saying that, that do you convert has said a little bit. So I'm not saying that I don't like hearing it because we're saying it, but it, it hit me. The saying is make hay while the sun shines, meaning the market is amazing mm-hmm. right now. I've been talking to people about kind of ignore whatever your sales goal is. A lot of time we talk about working backwards from a sales goal and putting the metrics in place to be able to reach those goals. However, in the current scenario, like just go, go as fast and as far <laughs> and sell as much as you can. Don't, uh, don't work backwards. So grab all the sales you can, but it hit me that there's two different perspectives on this that probably needs to be stated, which is that making hay while the sunshine is a sales job. Yeah. Whereas I want to add to the same, not, not that I expect this to catch on at all, but from a marketing perspective, let's go plant some soybeans while the hay is ready to be harvested so we can have another harvest of a different crop later. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just shifting your focus now may not be the right time to spend the extra 15 minutes making sure that every campaign is optimized perfectly because the market's amazing. We talked last time, a scale of zero to 100, it's out of 100. 
best market in the last five years, best market in terms of overall demand for existing homes since Google started tracking the data. So now may not be the time to optimize to death. It might be a good time to change focus and try something that you've been wanting to try, work on solving other problems. In fact, we just started with a builder partner who they have 350 homes sold that they just have to deliver on. Like that's how far out in front of their sales pace they are. It's a happy problem. It is, but we had to have a lot of conversations about, well, then what are we trying to make better? And what we need to make better is reducing cancellation rates, smoothing out the home buyer experience, even flowing the business from a sales and closing perspective as much as we can. It's it, there's different challenges, and so I don't know what your soybean field looks like, <laughs> but figure out what that is and spend some of your time while while sales and leads are rolling in like hotcakes right now to invest in the future. Yeah, that's a good analogy, especially the I think going like the nerdy perspective on optimizing your campaigns. You mostly take different actions if you're increasing spend versus decreasing spend or maintaining spend. Mm. So you yep. you could be just like spinning your wheels if you're optimizing while increasing the budget, and then you're just yeah I don't know you, that yeah slippery slope of not getting anything done doing those things versus just all right let's try to spend as much as we can right now if you are able to do that if you're not able to then yes definitely optimize and try to get as many clicks and quality tricks clicks for your budget. Yeah, I know ex- I know exactly what you're saying. Make- I'm complete, complete in, completely in agreement. When you're when you're making a bigger net, that doesn't. It's hard to track. Well, like any good science experiment, right? Mm-hmm. You, you change too many variables. You don't know what the real cause of success yes. is. That's true. Yeah, yep. it's kind of like like right now. It's the eighty percent rules versus trying to get that extra twenty percent. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And the other th- example that I have from looking at a couple different builders, they're like, man. Our, our organic traffic is through the roof. And I kind of smile and I say, awesome. And who's your SEO team that's making that happen? And they're like, we don't, we don't have an SEO team. We don't do, <laughs> we don't awesome. do anything for SEO. Which is great. <laughs> oh, so, you know, again, it doesn't mean you shouldn't be working on making your SEO efforts better. In fact, I'm going to mention something else about that here in a minute. But also, like when the market's going up, sometimes you're just riding that wave. We 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 used a surfing analogy many years ago on this on this podcast. That same idea. Another one is CRM ratings. This just has come up a couple different times with smaller builders who are using a CRM system where their CRM ratings are set up with A, B, C, meaning that someone is going to purchase in the next ninety days, sixty days, and then the next you know next rating is another couple weeks out, and then a C rating is six months to a year, oh. and. I don't know if we talked about this much recently, I so. but I just think that makes no sense at all. That, yeah. And no, it seems like that should I, be a different one field. of those builders. Like I also, separate. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say that when I worked for a builder, we had that rating system and it never made sense to me either because they're either going to buy or they're not. And yes, you will have different follow-up for, you know, somebody who's not super serious, but like, for now, in this market, it seems like if somebody's in the market, they're looking and they're just like, they should just be taken care of immediately. Well, my way that I talked about it, one of the builders is actually the builder that I'm going to likely be building with very soon. 
And I'm on the call with the sales people and, and I asked the sales individual who's been working with me, I said, Hey, what would you rate the Oakleys? <laughs> Are they an A, a B or a yeah. C in terms of time frame? Yeah. Like, and keep in mind now we've worked with them for a month and a half, two months on floor plans. We've got a design that's 95% done. You have land, right? Yeah, um, it's, I have okay. land. I've had it for a couple of years. I've talked to mortgage lenders. I'm like, what's like, why aren't the Oakleys buying yet? Why haven't we, why haven't we moved forward? And she's like, well, I was just going to ask you that question, but what is it? And when are we, are we going to, is it the next 60 days? Is it the next? And here's, here's the crazy answer. And I say this somewhat tongue in cheek, if you are the, listening to the show, I don't, I don't know for sure if she does or not. I don't know either. I really don't know what we're waiting for. I kind of do because I had a conversation with the owner but that's off the record, right? From a, from a salesperson customer relationship, I'm not sure yet. I need a nudge. (laughs) And so, yeah, we like, Hey, I'm somewhat risk averse. You may be shocked to, when it comes to business, I am not risk averse, but when it comes to my personal finances and how my family does things, right? Like we will, we tried to buy a car. Here's a quick update on that. We went to the GMC dealership, I think four times, tried to buy a car. Couldn't, couldn't get the darn guy to say, let's make it happen. Any other questions before we start the paperwork? Whatever. My wife's asking questions like, do you still have the car on the lot? Well, I don't know. You want to come back tomorrow and maybe do another test drive? See you later. It was just bizarre. We ended up not buying a GMC. We went to a Ford dealership. We liked the car, but also just from in the first minute and a half, Melanie turns to me. She's like, you know what? This is better. And here's what's interesting. The salesperson was better. He was better dressed, a little bit younger, sharper, more attentive, just better, better feelings. Mm -hmm. But also if you go to do a test drive, you know, you have to give them your license. So we, we get out the license to take the test drive of the Ford. And by the way, I still can't believe I own a Ford because it does stand for fix or repair daily. That's funny. It's the first American made vehicle I will ever have owned, but we go to do the test drive, give him the ID. And he's like, Oh no, no, I don't have to go inside. I'm just going to use my phone right here. I can scan it in for you. Oh man. So technology didn't lead the way. It wasn't the reason we were there, but it just smoothed out the experience. And so to bring all this back to CRM ratings, (laughs) like I'm like, so on as your side job beyond selling new homes, apparently you are all mind readers or magicians because how do you know the difference between the Oakleys are going to buy in 60 days versus 61 days, which would change them from an A to a B. So I'm not here in this particular episode. We'll probably have other guests on later who can give more specific insight and in, in their thoughts. But I just think CRM ratings based upon number of days to purchase. I guarantee you, if you go back and, and look at what they were rated and then what their rating was when they purchased, there's not probably great correlation there. Better to have your CRM rating based broadly off of Ready, willing, and able. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. If you've got a sales a sales process with clearly defined areas of for qualification, mm-hmm. then then maybe something like that. But it needs to be a little bit, and, and then also it needs to be nebulous. So, real quick, my rule was always you have to have at least three A's. Ideally, your your A's are all ready, willing, and able. But if you don't have any A's, you've got to have A's because they're the ones you're focused on <laughs> moving forward. Like the best one you have, even if they would typically be a B, should be an A if that's all you've got. And then my other rule is you can't have more than 10 A's. Even though the CRM gives you permission to forget, more than 10 A's means you don't really know enough or else you're in the middle of a pandemic where traffic's at an all-time high. And you, you know, <laughs> but typically, you just don't want to have 10 A's because those are still, the again, it's, it's, it's a matter of focus. 
Yeah, I, I feel like I'm getting more energy as I'm talking about this, so we should probably just do a different episode. Wait, that could be a whole, whole other one. But, yeah. That's fun. And then the last one is sold-out communities. We've talked at the summit for a couple of years now, ever since Andrew Garberson from then Lunametrics, now Bounteous, told us about the idea that like an elephant, your website should never forget. Sold out communities do not deserve to be completely removed from the website. When you sell your house on Zillow, it still lives on Zillow. When you sell your house on Realtor.com, the, the, some of the data remains there. So just like that, especially if it's the only community in a submarket, when you remove that community from your website, that entire submarket page likely disappears as well. Consumers now never know that you ever built there or plan to in the future unless you have a fully active or coming soon community listed. And one of the challenges is we've talked about different ways that other industries have done it or even builders have done it successfully is, well, my current website just doesn't have that functionality and I don't, I'm not sure how to do Blech. it. Well, <laughs> here's a little cheat code that I think will work for most of you. Last week, we talked about how much we love Unbounce. Becca, how much do you love Unbounce on a scale of one Oh, I would say at least an 11. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there you go. Cheating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm also going to give you a little math test after this because I'm not sure you understand <laughs> 1 to 10. But <laughs> it's not 1 plus 10. I'm just kidding. So it's, oh, it's a great tool. And one of those things we talked about is the ability to make pop-ups and sticky bars. Why not do what you can in terms of the current website framework that you have to work within, but also just have when someone goes to that particular page, a pop-up that says we are currently sold out of this community. However, we anticipate selling again here soon. If you would like to be notified when that happens, please join our priority list. And you could even have potentially the form right there in the pop-up as well. But it just seems like that might be a, uh, an interesting workaround to just simplify it. So you, you keep it up there. Obviously, this doesn't work for huge builders because you're just going to have, you know, 40% of the places people click on are going to be sold out. But if you're a smaller builder, I think this might be a strategy yeah. that can mm -hmm. work. What do you guys think? Yeah, I think it would be great for small builders, especially if they're going to return to that submarket over and over again, even if there is a gap in between. Exactly. I agree. Yeah, I always thought it was. I think I brought this up on one of our, our calls as far as I'm like, guys, I, I know I'm... I'm like, how many years have been doing working with home builders? It's like five years now. Like, I feel like I have like dumb questions sometimes, but I'm like, I feel like some builders like hide after they are done with the community. Like, and this is like, if you had a product on mm -hmm. Amazon, it's sold out, it's sold out. It doesn't go away. Um, it, it does, it does live there. And even like the old part number you could find on Amazon and the same with like the community, yeah. like the one we're living in, you know, KB built it, but there's no like KB branding, obviously on that but if they do search it they do find out it's kb so it's not like that's never it's not a c it's a c does that make any sense it's like you're not hiding like as far as like if you're like oh we don't want our name right. there because that what if like the hoa went crazy and now everyone paints their house purple mm -hmm. and we look terrible it's like well they're gonna search the google name they're if they're going to search the name anyways then they will find out that information i don't know. i think there's more positives to keeping keeping up what you built, which you should be proud of. Absolutely. Yeah. And you can make the, again, those small updates. You don't have to still list out your base price no, anymore. You can all. get rid of that it's information, okay. but in terms of essentially turn it into like a Wikipedia article, yeah. but what the community was, what was offered there, some representative cool. images. And then ideally you're linking to other nearby communities or creating a VIP list for those who are interested. For sure. In the future. Yeah, there's, but that's just yeah, a, one small one, which I think will apply to some of the, the smaller builders that are, are listening. There's a builder here in town, Chenard, 
builders, small family owned builder. They build in like three zip codes. I was stalking them the other day. They've built over like 200 houses in two different zip codes, the same school district, like really, really small area. If you go on the website, you'd have no idea. I'm like, what the heck? I have no idea. They built like 200 plus houses and you could like, I found them all like, this is crazy. I, I just thought they built like 15, 20 because that's all the signs I've ever mm-hmm. seen. But they, they go back like 20 some odd years. Yeah. That was cool. So yeah, good, good for them. Exactly. All right. Story time's over. On to the news. First article from CNBC.com. We posted this in the Facebook group a couple days ago, but mortgage demand from homebuyers jumps 18% as interest rates set another record low. So the average 30-year fixed mortgage rate now down to 3.37. I'm refinancing currently at 2.64, I think. Nice. I'm paying one point to do that, but I'm going to save $500 a month on my mortgage. So even when I move forward and build out the new house, it might take a year or so to get there. After 10 months, I'll be even. And who knows? We might become landlords instead of even selling it if if the rates there you go. You know, maybe maybe I'll move in that, there. That maybe I'll move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll just leave it open for the DYC members when you come you to go. visit. <laughs> but you know, the coronavirus outbreak surged really about six weeks ago, and and then home buyers were down thirty five percent annually. So we've gone from negative thirty five to over eighteen percent in a relatively short time span. And like we talked about, the I do think in many ways, this is the best market I will ever see in my lifetime for a home builder. Yeah. It's just astounding the number of people who are responding to the article saying, yes, May was our best month ever. Yes, leads are through the roof. And this is the last time I'm going to mention it, and then I'll let it go, I promise. But it still hurt my feelings a lot when, when people were saying, Kevin doesn't know what he's talking about. When I, when I was suggesting to reduce spend by 10 to 15% if you were seeing large drops in website activity or in uh, buyers' willingness to take next steps. And the main culprit, the main concern that people were raising was, well, when the market comes back, you're not going to be able to participate in the upside if you make that kind of a cut. You have to stay in front of people. And I'm just here to tell you that was not true. <laughs> All you had to do was jump right back in back to where you were when the market was turning and all those builders who made those cuts now have the extra budget that a lot of them need to capitalize on the surge in search traffic. Paid search is expensive per click. And right now there's never been more of it. So instead of having to ask for more money or make adjustments, you could just push that money that you saved right back over and make hay while the sun shines. See what I, I like mm-hmm. Make hay. See what I did? I feel there? like is that, that's gotta be from a game. There's, I don't know. Is there a game of making hay? I feel like that's for my grandpa. Grand- grandpa. Or Some my like farming game I'm thinking on your phone. I don't know. Yeah. But that's make hay. <laughs> that's funny. Next up is the 2020 Home Builder follow-up survey. Uh, like we mentioned in last week's article, that has already happened. But now that it's it's happened in real time, not the fake podcast timing of when we're recording, now we can talk about a little bit of the results. You still obviously can go back and get the recording as well as one beast of a white paper. <laughs> This thing is 26 pages long of different stats and data points of all the different information related to this shop because there are two shops in one. We did remember the pre-virus shop and the during COVID shop to compare results because we thought for sure, based upon how rah-rah everyone was with my team is all on this Zoom stuff and FaceTime and we love technology now and we're all on, on board for this, that when all you have for many builders was online leads that they would be taken care of better than ever. And the group 
And the question of the week was very negative that they thought follow-up would get much worse during COVID. Hmm. The answer was that we actually got slightly better, oh, 15% man. better on average <laughs> in the amount of follow-up. But those numbers are not as impressive as they sound. Okay. So when I say 15% better, instead of 70% of builders not calling us back, now only 64% of builders were not okay. calling us back ever. Wow. Ever. Instead of 38% never emailing us back, only 32% never emailed us back. Man. And in fact, what I think is the most interesting is the biggest percentage increase was the number of builders who were having their, their digital leads go through an online sales, inside sales, central centralized process or individual jumped from 37 to 48 percent and i think if nothing else that's the main reason that everything else got slightly better it, you know so and we we probably could go back through the data and see the of the ones that didn't go through the osc how much were those the ones that really were continued to be terrible and did the oscs get marginally better and a lot of builders maybe just created a and air quotes OSC, yep. like, hey, you, sales rep, <laughs> now you're an OSC, figure it out. <laughs> so they did their best in the middle of the pandemic. But um, I also thought it was really interesting, and, and to get your take on this, especially since I'm refinancing and how many people are calling me, only 8% of total builders sent more than two emails, made more than one phone call, and sent more than one text message to us over a 45-day period. Mm. Eight percent, you said. Eight percent, yeah. Sorry, not forty-five because the 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 during COVID test I don't think was a full forty-five days. It was I think three weeks because we wanted to try to keep it in peak COVID. But over a three-week period, only eight percent did that. Whereas wow. I'm telling you what, let me I can make a quick count here. Just just one of the companies trying to call me about the fact that I should refinance with them from Canton, Ohio, because I know no one in Canton except for this person who leaves <laughs> me all these voicemails. In the last four days, I have had 21 calls from Canton, Ohio. Wow, they're getting it. Oh, that's a lot. A lot. And it's like, yeah, right. So that, that's a different, but so I blocked yeah. them, but I've never, I've never blocked a home builder ever. <laughs> yeah. ever. That is crazy. You guys ever yes. blocked a home builder? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did a shop. Oh, we need to give them a gold star. Oh, Who are these people? We're sending them uh, a gift. I don't even know if she's still, it was a competitor. Oh. Was it when you built or when you were working at your no, last builder? When I was working at my last builder, okay. when I first signed up, my boss said, everybody knows her in the industry. Sign up for these three. Let's look at uh, what they're giving for a mm -hmm. follow-up process. And I got immediately a phone call, an email, and then a phone call every day. Oh, my. Oh, come on. You don't have to say the person's name, but what was the I company? I think it was, it was one of two. So I want to say okay. it's, it was either Eastwood or, um, Schumacher homes. Uh, my, my hunch is Schumacher, but Eastwood does a good job, but yeah. I, I, I'm guessing if anyone followed up to the point of you having to block them, <laughs> it was Schumacher. Man. That's my hunch because those those folks take this serious. Yeah. Like they have a full on bullpen. You would think these people were trading stock or like architects of multiple pro like the setup that, that Schumacher has and has had ever since Mike uh, tra trained them up and got them going on online sales many, many years ago. It's, it's really impressive how they take their approach to it. So 
you guys let us know. If it was Eastwood, let me know. We'll send you a gift. <laughs> if, it, if it was Schumacher, yeah. then Schumacher just needs to forgive me. I wrote a blog post long before I worked at Do You Convert. That was, uh, and I made the mistake. A mistake? I don't know if it's a mistake, but I took a picture of one of their billboards. Because oh, <laughs> they were everywhere. And all it said was like the cheapest cost per square foot. Oh. And then a picture of a house and it was black background with white lettering and they were everywhere. And I said some, maybe not nice things. It, it wasn't like me yeah. <laughs> saying, what is the, we're the cheapest. Is that the main thing you want to scream about? I'm not sure. And especially on a billboard yeah. across multiple locations. In a, anyway, so <laughs> can we be friends now? No, we're friends. I, I know. I know that them over there were good people but okay. that always makes me okay. chuckle when i think about that <laughs> is there there's a link to get the survey results and all that i think if they do not there absolutely isn't but the easiest one is just go to dookart.com and it's right there on there the home page just gonna jump out and bite you yeah. as they I, say. I pulled it up here on my computer uh yeah that's a lot of work jackie on the design and then the whole the whole squad on yeah tice and jackie both did a great job yeah. okay I, awesome. I got a couple more stats i wanted to, i want you to tell me your response to Okay. This is before COVID, but again, go BC. get the full white BC. paper, watch okay. the full recording. How long do you think that it took for the average per company to text us? So of those who did text us, because in the, in the request, we said they could text us. How long do you think it would take them to reach at back out? 24 hours. Yeah. Good guess. Yeah. Wrong. <laughs> I, want, I want to be optimistic. Well, it's not 24, 24, 24. Um, three days Ooh. within three days. 2.9. Cause that's like, Very I feel like good. mentally a lot of people that like, oh, I better do that. It's been three, it's been three days. <laughs> well, that's, what's interesting. So the text message is the one that took the longest. That to should get be a so like you're like the easy button out. Like, Oh, the, the yeah. one I text, like I'm just like, gonna do it right now. Well, this is why we always say trust, but verify everything as a marketer, even within your own department. Because if you ask salespeople, and I trust you salespeople, but I'm still going to verify if we work together. They're always saying, well, I didn't, you know, I didn't put it in the CRM, but I've been following up with them. I just been, I've been texting, but we didn't put it in the CRM because that's annoying. You got to do right. extra work and it's not ah, tracked automatically. Give me your phone. But trust me, it's like we're texting, we're doing other stuff. It's just not in the CRM. And this report, every year we do it, I go back to that. I'm like, mm, yeah, trust but verify. Man. On that that's end. So to that end, we also in the, in the white paper, and we'll include in the show notes, we also have a link to the product that we developed with Clear Evaluations, who is the, our partner on the survey, but also our partner in developing a online shopping process that follows Do You Convert's method of how to do an online shop the right way, but also combines Clear Evaluations technology and platform to, to display the results in a great dashboard format that lets you keep historical data. So as long as you're doing work with Clear Evaluations, you're always going to be able to compare and see if your team is getting better or worse slice and dice it a whole bunch of different ways. So definitely check that out as well, because a lot of you need to be shopping your team, especially if you still have leads going in any form or fashion directly to on-site sales still. Those people in particular, you want to be shopping on a regular basis to make sure you really understand what you're losing or potentially losing by not having those leads go to an online salesperson first. I have a question that will extend our time, but it should be quick. Okay. Email, were they faster to email than text? Slightly, two point three days. I think oh, was the average. I just closed okay, the report, still, but I'm pretty still sure terrible. That was I was thinking like maybe there's a 
like a friction of like, here's the phone number. I have to put it on my phone. I have to save their contact. No, no. On average, the the on average, the f- fastest response was email, but it came a day and a half okay, later. But that's just like oh. I'm, I'm thinking like on the technical, like they're just clicking a button to reply. I wonder if those with like if they have uh, if they're on a Mac, they're using an iPhone, and then it just all syncs together as one device. If they could click, right? I don't have a Mac, but I assume it works that way. You could click the phone number and just you could. <laughs> text them from your computer, right? Yeah. From your yeah. Right. I wonder if those, yeah. like, I wonder if the PC versus Mac results, the Mac users are faster texters. No one's no fast. One's the fast. average is 2.9 days terrible. on text and 1.5 days on email and 2.3 days on phone. Call. Gosh, that's, that's a lot of time. That's the overall average. Overall average. In terms of, yeah. It's, it's too long by a million percent. I think, right. We're trying to get less than 15 minutes. As a, as a baseline standard, Man. really five minutes is the new standard, yeah. but yeah, we'll dive more into it with Mike and Jen. We'll have them cool. on, I'm sure in a future episode, but go get that get report, it. go watch the webinar and more importantly, go, go get it and then print it out and leave it on your boss's desk in their inbox and mark it up with little notes and smiley faces and take your Sharpie and make it look like it's your report. Like take our stuff and then just add a couple notes onto it and make yourself look smart. Yeah. <laughs> And say, we should check this out. A little picture of your face on each corner. All right, moving on. Rich Barton had a fantastic interview with Brad Inman as part of Inman Connect, which is going on right now as we're recording. Today's the last day. But the general sessions that they have at the beginning have the the real heavy hitters in terms of uh, heads of, of large organizations and technology companies. And Rich Barton's interview was fascinating to me. And we'll have a link to it in the show notes as well. But the headline of the article is that he feels like this crisis feels like a, it's it's different. And what he calls it is the great reshuffling as people reprioritize the value of home. And in particular, like how much money they're willing to invest in a home because they're spending more time than ever in it. Now, you know, if you're not going to work all day and you're staying home and working from home, now the amount of money you can invest in your property grows and perhaps the amount of money you put into a car that you really only drive to go to the grocery store and back to the office once or twice a week, maybe you don't want to spend as much in your car, but more on your house, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I thought that was a really good way to phrase it. The other interesting thing was he talked about that the current reshuffling is probably people who can do this financially. Like they're, they're wanting to improve their lives and they have the means to do so. And that's, this is the market that I was talking about what I was saying. I think the market's going to be really good through middle of August. And then potentially after that, we might, we might head down a little bit. He was making the case that it might be much longer lasting in terms of total number of transactions because after a certain point, the reshuffling might occur because people have to move versus want to move. So those who still don't have a job back and can no longer afford to live where they are or don't have a job in New York or San Francisco or Austin or someplace like that can no longer afford to live in a larger city with higher taxes, et cetera. Now those people will have to move. I thought that was an interesting point and makes a lot of sense to me. Any any thoughts or Yeah, my thought is I think I brought this up a while ago as far as like it'd be interesting. And I was talking like in my brain, like more philosophical, like, oh, what what, 20 years from now, like if more people are working from home, like that would change where we're able to build and like what home is, like would people I'm already thinking like, well, what if you homeschool? Like you don't like have to have as much money in a car, like your home will look different you might have like a classroom in your home and your community would be it's very community focused because you might have everyone works from home or not everyone but more people are working from home this person does this and so Mm -hmm. you have this shared effort so schools are different and uh, Mm -hmm. everything is is different 
that's just really interesting seeing this and seeing someone who knows the details on it and has the insight, like see this reshuffling take place. And it just kind yep. of started like the last, say, few weeks or so. Yeah, it'll be a year from now. Oh, man. <laughs> well, in my favorite part of the interview is actually Rich doesn't have a home office, but he's currently working from home. So he works from his I bedroom. His and bed. you can see the bed in his background right <laughs> I know, there. I'm like, he needs to step His it guitar, up. his red chair. He's got his, his window closed off. But he's like, guys, I'm, I'm in this mix too. I either have to renovate my home to add a home office here. Or I'm going to move, but my life's changing. I'm in the same boat as everyone else is. And, and so it was, it was a really fascinating interview. And we'll keep talking about different parts of Inman Connect. You can still sign up using our link and get uh, access and then view recordings of the sessions. So don't worry that this is already passed us. So you can go back and, and check that out. Um, next one up, how location data can drive your marketing strategy during COVID. Oh. This is from searchengineland.com. And if someone is out and about in the physical world right now, that alone is a signal that they are in market, said Foursquare CEO David Shim on Live with Search Engine Land. Andrew? Yeah, so this one's interesting, and I'm going to I'll, I'll kind of shift the article. Definitely read it, watch the video, just so you have like a deeper understanding of like how other markets and industries look at location targeting. Mm -hmm. But I, I'll shift it to like don't obsess over the perfect location targeting or where you mm. are, you have your campaigns, mostly on Facebook, uh, because on Google. So you're saying this article might lead you down the idea of geofence everything, yes. and then you're done. Like a, like a retail, like <laughs> if they're like, say you have the audiences of like, oh, here's someone who goes to Chick-fil-A, this little circle all the time. You know who mm -hmm. that is, and you have people who have been there 90 days ago, and then you could get fancy and like exclude the most recent 30 days. So essentially, you have people who have not been here in the past 30 days, but were here in the past 90 days. So days 30 through 690, if that makes sense. Right. Mm -hmm. So that would be something say Chick-fil-A could do or McDonald's or Burger King. And they would have it be much more complicated than that. Cause then they could probably tie in transaction data. But for us, like we don't have that, we don't have the frequency of transactions. So it, it could definitely lead us down this weird path of kind of over, overbuilding or over optimizing. I mean, really we need to go the yeah, opposite. Actually, now that you're like, saying it to be loose. And I was already, thinking you might tee it up this way a little bit, but even more so, this article applies much more to salespeople in our industry than marketers. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like if people are out mm -hmm. and about, they're not looking for decorating ideas right now. It doesn't matter what they say. They're not. I'd say not. If they're calling you, if they're doing anything beyond just surfing the web, that definitely tells you about whether they're in the market or not. Again, back to our conversation about the Oakley's new car. There's only one reason why we we're on the lot. GMC salesperson, uh, worst salesperson of the year. <laughs> the fourth time. We were there to buy a you car. You really just wanted that coffee from there. That was probably taped off. You can't even no. have it anymore. No, the others no are like, do you want to drink? From all you people not wearing masks and no sign of hand sanitizer? No, I don't, I don't want you to go get That's so coffee. interesting. No, oh, <laughs> I don't want it. Wow. <laughs> get out of here. Mo moving on. Uh, the last one is uh, from ProBuilder.com, a little article written by, let's see, Kevin Oakley, contributing. Crazy guy, yeah. You call him crazy laughing, I think. May 27th. I like that. I like <laughs> Your him. sales attribution method is lying to you, is the headline. And I, I love when builder professional builder um, picks the images. I'm, I'm always, sometimes I'm surprised. I like it. And kind of like, hmm, how does that relate? But this time they just chose Pinocchio, That's like perfect. a wooden Pinocchio doll. <laughs> 
And that cracked me up. I wish they could have. They would have been sued, so they can't. But I wish they could have just used the one from the Geico commercial. Oh, that would have been good. Yeah. Uh, instead. Yeah. But no matter what methods you choose to directly attribute sales for marketing, chances are they're not telling you the complete story. And, you know, when I, when I shared it on social, I kind of put it the same way. Like, do you use attribution modeling at all? Awesome. I'm glad, I'm glad you do. Uh, does it inform your decision-making in a in a better way again i'm happy for you but what i hear most people trying to use attribution modeling for is a i don't have to think about this the chart says no conversions so therefore this marketing or advertising activity has no mm. value it just it's not that simple nope i wish it was <laughs> and Not it doesn't me. matter which attribution method you use in, in any scenario there's parts of it that are going to be inaccurate and then the last thing if you remember um, the gentleman from north dakota that we had on to talk about ppc oh, kirk was, was a genius kirk, kirk. william yes kirk williams I don't, and he loves star I wars kirk. and i think he also liked pancakes so we were friends north forever. dakota and it's like what are you doing up there yeah right. that makes it easy to replace oh. you but even then we were talking about, hey, the fact that, you know, GDPR and CCPA, the California Consumer Privacy Act, like the idea that attribution modeling is likely ever to get good enough to be able to be used as accurately as people wish it would is probably never going to happen. Yep. And it's getting worse. There's like that. Yeah, it's getting worse. And there's some people on LinkedIn and Twitter who are I see are hawking like, get your own pixel, get your own this, get your, like do it all in house. And then you can keep all the, you can stock people all you want. Uh, mm. No, not necessarily. I don't even think um, it's, I'm sure some higher level marketing people could disagree. I don't think it's worth the effort for us, for our industry. Yeah. Like the, the, the sales cycle or buying process, whatever is so long compared to, Oh, I'm selling a case of 24 pack of monster energy drinks. Where like it could be repeat or let's this week or it's something that's like it's completely yep. untraceable. Well, this also thing. Like exactly. it, it doesn't really matter. Like will you change? I think we had this conversation with someone, uh, some guests on our show, but the idea of when someone goes to a page, like they look at the Stanford floor plan from Happy Acres, we have no idea why they're on that screen. Nope. I think it was Quint Lears that we were talking about this with. Like, are they there because they're arguing with their spouse about the fact that this kitchen is definitely too small for them? Or is it are they there because they're obsessed with this kitchen? It's the it's their dream kitchen, and they just want to stare at it and can't wait to move in, you know, tomorrow. And because yeah. they already bought two months ago, we have no idea why they're there. No idea. It, we we don't. We we, we know, and this is where outside of attribution, outside of the data we have as a marketer, you have to understand human psychology broadly, but also just what the home buyer journey looks like for your builder and the type of homeowners. And so spending time and energy on market research and focus groups and surveying is, is incredibly important. Uh, you know, we, I, whenever we would hire someone new to the marketing department or online sales, we had them find a buddy, basically you're assigned to the Smith family. And whenever they show up for a meeting, you're going to be there with the salesperson, with the design center person you're going to go through this whole experience with them because there's only, you know, when you went through your experience with KB that you learned a ton oh, about yeah. what mm -hmm. consumers are going through a lot. So there's always more to it. And, and I, maybe just cause I'm getting old and, and we always like to make jokes about how when people get old, like I'm almost 40, the older they get, they start acting and doing things weird. 
but I've had a couple, many separate conversations where I'm asking someone, how is this working? And they're like, well, you talking about the numbers or are you talking about like gut? And I am actually more interested in starting with the gut. So I feel like you start with the numbers and then people are afraid to share their gut feelings. Yeah. But kind of flushing those ideas and feelings from the gut out first and then going into the data, I find to be incredibly helpful. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think of like the outcome of getting obsessed with attribution for home builders. And the only outcome I could think of, because we, we have Facebook and Google and syndication that we're spending mm-hmm. money on. Um, and those will always be there. And, and billboards. Oh, yeah. And, and radio, billboards. Yeah. And TV. Yeah. <laughs> Get those. The only, as far as like the digital side, the only things that I could think of if you're able to get really granular on tracking and segment people out and assume their intent is just creating content on the remarketing side to push in front of them. And then, then I go in the path of my head. I'm like, well, that's cool. Like you could show like, here's 50 farmhouse kitchens we built in the past year. If you're like, if that's something mm-hmm. that they're on your site, but then you already heard to have you have to have the farmhouse page on your site, which no one has, even though they might have built 50 farmhouse styled kitchens. You have to show them. So it all goes, then it goes back to like, well, we need that content anyways. No one's having that. So why are we, it's almost like the cart is before the horse on a lot of these, the thought processes as far as trying to mimic some type of marketing automation, like email sequence type thing with remarketing our content. I think all those sound like great ideas, but from my experience, the only reason people are looking to use attribution of any kind is to figure out how to not do something. Like, look, we don't have to do this anymore. We can save this money because attribution says so. I don't think it's really much based at all on incremental improvements. I wish it was. I think most of the time it's a knee-jerk reaction, and that's why I sat down to write the article. (laughs) It's not saying, well, I don't see any leads from this source attributed in my attribution model, so I'm going to question, is it the channel? Is it the ad creative? Is it the audience? Is it how we're nurturing and responding to those people differently? Are we curb qualifying them uh, differently because they're coming from a particular source? That's all way too complicated. It's just easier to say, look, we have no leads, so therefore I can't spend money with you. This just doesn't work for us. Sorry. I think that's what gotcha. most people are trying to shortcut. I used lead attribution when we were trying to build the digital marketing program mm-hmm. to show the sales agents, look, we are advertising in these mm. areas and these are where you are saying the sales are coming from. Now... I would say that's kind of a grain of salt because they were not putting anything in at the beginning. And then I said, well, I know because I talked to this person or they filled out their final survey and said they came from Facebook. So I need you guys to show me where they're coming from so I can use more dollars to help you get more leads. And once that happened and we started to see a little trickle of Google, a little trickle of Facebook and so on. And then all of a sudden they were answering that question all the time. And we could kind of see a vague picture of all of the different pieces that people were interacting with along the way. Yeah. And I think my favorite example of this is I live in Lewis. Well, where do I live? Liberty Township, Ohio. (laughs) If someone types in new homes, Liberty Township, Ohio, and you're a home builder, do you want to at least have a shot? Do you want them to consider you? especially if pricing is in the ad before I click on it? I sure hope the answer is yes, irregardless of what the attribution modeling would say, because that's your fault now. If you sell homes in the price point, that's correct. It's not Google ads fault that there is no attribution there. 
Yeah, there's. there's I think we <laughs> shot that horse. <laughs> Sorry, Becca. Okay. Becca's a horse person. That's, I will not use an analogy no, again. You can't. Oh, no, it's fine. The, what's the kick a horse down when it's. <laughs> I don't know. I, I can't remember any of those. Oh, man. All right. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to sit down with Linnea Chapman, one of my favorite marketers in the entire United States. She's from a place that we truly say is different. There, there's three <laughs> different places that are truly different. There's Canada, there's California, and there's Utah. Those, those markets and Texas in some ways, but not as different as the other three. <laughs> and she's amazing, fantastic. You're going to love, we always love telling stories of, of people's personal journeys who are in marketing, in home building, and are doing a great job. When we come back, we'll talk with Linnea Chapman. You must be keeping secret weapons in your fanny pack. You're like my laughing gas, you got the can to dance. You're like Lance on the mountain in the Tour de France. You got a wingspan spanning the globe. You got gold and you're teaching us all to let go. And we're back with Linnea Chapman, the marketing director for Truemark Holmes. Linnea, thanks for joining us on this fabulous Friday afternoon. Well, thank you so much for having me. You're one of my favorite people, and I don't like saying that because <laughs> it's not fair. You live in the Bay Area. You went to school in San Francisco. It's this thing for Midwesterners where California is already cool enough that yeah. it just doesn't seem fair sometimes. <laughs> people, people get now, everything. But Yeah, no, the Bay Area is a great place to live. So I'm definitely spoiled here. Now, I really do mean it. You're, you're one of my favorite people and not just because of the, the work you do, but how you do it and get it done and um, your thoughtfulness that you approach the job with. But no one ever starts out in life saying, I want to be a new home marketer when I grow up. So <laughs> tell us uh, briefly the journey that, that you took to get where you are now after college was over. Yeah. So I actually went to, as you mentioned, I went to college at the University of San Francisco and I studied art history, art management. So I was not on the path to getting into home building <laughs> at all. But one of my course requirements was taking a graphic design class, which I fell in love with. And I decided to minor in graphic design and I have to say that the graphic design skill set that I gained during my college years has really carried me throughout my professional journey. So right after college, I started working for the Fine Arts Museums in San Francisco at the DeYoung Museum. And I was in education there, um, but I was developing the <laughs> software for all the interactive touch screens within the museum and also the porthole that the school systems would get to tap into to bring the museum artwork into the classroom. So that was that pretty exciting. Crazy. I already know how the story ends, but you're making me more excited because you've got <laughs> design background, you're messing around with technology and touchscreens and development, teaching. Those three things already, I, I feel like that combination is a lot of where my skill set has has been valuable for me as well. Because my I never well, I taught high school classes when I was in high school, but my parents were both teachers and I always was around educators. And I think now, now it all makes sense. I know why the story has taken you to where you are. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, my parents were both educators too. So, you know, being in the art world and then also tying in education and then bringing in my graphic design abilities, it was just a really exciting dynamic time for me. So, and then on the side of that, I was also working for some of the big galleries in San Francisco doing a lot of print marketing for them in magazine layouts and doing brand guidelines and brand building for, for some of the galleries um, in San Francisco. So that was also very exciting. But I got a little burnt out of the art world and 
in 2007, I sort of shifted and I went um, to work for a residential architectural firm in San Francisco, Hunt Hill Jones. And I went in as a marketing assistant. And again, my graphic, you know, skill set was a big carrier that really pushed me in to my career there. And that's let's, also... Let's unpack the graphic design part a little bit more. Yeah. Because I also was a graphic design major in school, I was, or I was a majored in that. But I think art is misunderstood by people who don't do it themselves or didn't study it in that art is not just communicating something, but really solving a problem creatively and, and through storytelling and, and kind of making something from nothing. And that, so wh- whether or not someone is truly good at design isn't the only important part about this. Like I couldn't, I can't free draw most things very well at all. Yeah, nor but can I. Think, I. I think I think the ability to use technology, which thankfully helps us hit the undo button and try again when we're drawing something, I think the ability to to do that in kind of rapid prototype as you're trying to solve problems, it's just whether it's the thing that ends up on the page or the screen or just the way that your brain functions through a problem. And then you you couple that with an education background, which is communicating to others to help them also understand. Yeah. And and I think it was the problem solving that I I still love about graphic design, you know, is it's taking, okay, we, this is the end game. How do we get there? Who's our audience? You know, it's sort of lining up all of those things and saying, okay, how is this all going to be presented? How is this going to unfold? And it is a problem solving that I just love. I, as you know, I, I love a challenge. So, and yet what's interesting though, is I think people who don't have a design background think that the other parts you mentioned are the hard part and designs the easy part, which is, which is humorous. Like, yeah, it makes me laugh of like identifying the target audience and how and what is not the hard part. That's that happens really fast. It's figuring out the way to align all those things together. Exactly. Yeah, that is that is the hard part. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, my graphic design skill set, I have to say, has been like that one thing that one I just absolutely love. And probably that passion has helped me you know, throughout my professional career. So, but yeah, I was at Hunt Hill Jones Architects because they're residential architects. I was introduced to the home building world and got involved with the BIA. I was on the Women's Council for several years. Also on the Women's Council, I was doing education outreach there. So again, Hmm. the education component. And um, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I was doing more of the B2B marketing, of course, being on the service side of the home building industry, but mm-hmm. you know, I got a taste for the industry at that point in my career. So, and then in 2010, and then, and then things took a turn. <laughs> then things took a big turn. So my husband and I, we were lucky during, you know, the downturn that we both had our jobs, but um, things were just changing. And so we decided to make a major move and we moved to South Africa where my husband is from. We had a home there. We were struggling to buy into the San Francisco market during that time. So things just kind of, we were just like, well, it's now or never. We don't have kids. So in 2010, we moved to South Africa and we lived there for six years. And during that time, we had our two daughters. But I also started a little social paper company, Somersault Press. And so that, again, my graphic design skill set came into play. And entrepreneurial. Now now we're adding a whole other layer. Yeah. So, I mean, I love that time. I started it with a dear friend of mine and it was just so much fun. I mean, one, I love paper products. So I love 
that whole discovery of different papers and where they come <laughs> People from. People are going to be shocked to hear this, but I, I do know. too. I don't like spending money on print ads. No. But yeah. I love I, I love talking about the weight of paper and texture and what materials going into it and hand making paper oh, yeah. is something I'll probably do when I'm an old man and have time to do that again. Yeah, so. one of my favorite things in college in college was making we had to make books and I just love the process of making a book and the paper selection and and how a book is actually bound and you know it was just you know I just love paper. So um you know what what started that whole thing is I had my my first daughter and in South Africa I couldn't find a birth announcement card, you know, so that was quite a big thing in the states at the time, but it mm-hmm. hadn't really come to to play there in that market. And so that's sort of what spearheaded Somersault Press. But it was great because discovering like understanding printing and paper and and then that's what also got me into dabbling in social media for marketing. Hmm. So And if you're already not impressed with Linnea enough, something else (laughs) that I don't know if you learned it during this time specifically, but I remember you telling me that you knew exactly what to do in the potential case of a carjacking. Like, I, yes, where to what, put your what, hands, what to, <laughs> how to get my children out of the car and how to place my feet. Yes, I do. That is one of my little hidden talents. So, yeah. Yeah. It's just the, the, the layers and the, and the variety is, is still, it's just nice to know you, Linnea. Okay. Sorry. Keep going. <laughs> it's nice to know you, Kevin. Too. <laughs> <laughs> no, living in South Africa, it's, it's such a dynamic place and you know, it was a great time. We lived there for six years and I really did love every minute of it. It's a beautiful country, uh, amazing food, amazing wine, amazing people. So it was a really exciting time for us. But then 2006 rolled around and we decided, you know, our kids are young and it was, you know, this it's now or never. We either make our life here or we move back to, to the States. So we moved back to the Bay Area in 2016. And funny enough, my husband and I went back to our exact same companies and roles. <laughs> they they caught wind we were coming back and they said, hey, well, would you want to come back? And I was like, yeah. So my husband went back to his job and I went back to Hunt Hell Jones. And during my time, this time around, um, you know, they needed a, a, a website refresh. And I had dabbled in website design here and there, but I just, I, I said to Richard Hunt, I said, I can do this. I will design your website in-house, we'll make this happen. And that's sort of what, that was my big project for them during the time I was there, which was great. I loved that. And I think we live in such a great time where there's so many resources at -hmm. our fingertips. Like I was watching YouTube videos and reading blogs and how do I do this? And what, what, how do I do this element in coding? And so I really enjoyed just unpacking and, and building out a site from scratch. So and then let's see, in 2017, one of my old colleagues from Hunt Hill Jones days had moved on to a home builder and we were having lunch and we just moved back. And she looked at me and she says, you know, Linnea, I know that this isn't the right time. You're trying to settle the kids into schools and things like that. But my company has, they're, they're looking for a marketing manager, you know, would you be interested? And I thought this is totally the wrong time for me to take this on. But yes, I'm very excited about this. So I decided to, you know, submit my resume and I then went to work for DeNova Homes in 2017. I went in as their marketing manager and was there for three years and eventually was their marketing director. So and did a lot of 
awesome things at Denova. I really loved my time. I really grew as yeah, great a company. yeah as a a marketer in the home building space. So and kind of the capstone, you won a small little award that I noticed you don't even have on your LinkedIn bio because you <laughs> don't like to talk about yourself. But <laughs> tell yes. everyone what you, what happened. I did. I won uh, marketing director of the year for Northern California BIA. So it was a huge honor. Yeah, I mean, this is big companies, people with big budgets from a design perspective, like these these are agencies who don't just work with home builders, but are are you know, and sometimes when you look at awards and nominations in in California, North or South, you look at it. I remember one time someone won like website of the year, but they spent like three million dollars on it or something, and you're like, oh, I hope I hope it was like the best thing ever for that much money. So that, that was really cool. Now, the other thing I think is interesting kind of talking through your journey now with you in terms of like an origin story is like everything pre DeNova in terms of home builders was like, you know, the buildup, the the working towards it. And individually, any one of those things listed out, you'd be like, well, I don't know if that's completely related or not. I mean, certainly working for an architecture company is tangentially related, but this is when like you showed up and things were not not like firing on all cylinders in terms of the certain aspects of the company were doing fantastic but in in terms of the typical sales and marketing process with CRM and website and you know you like to jump in head first yeah it's just really good that you had that technology and design and entrepreneurial nature because you guys we're ripping off the bandaid and switching out basically every system and process at once. Yes, we did. It was ripping off the bandaid is gentle, I think. (laughs) So, I mean, we had our, our website was very dated and our CRM system was also very dated. And even just the, you know, we weren't really embracing all the components of digital marketing in terms of, you know, Google ads and social ads. And there was just a lot that we, could be doing um, a bit better. And so, yeah, we decided to just go for it and redo the website, the CRM system, and really implementing along the way a whole bunch of other systems to get us up to speed. And you guys really helped us get to where we needed to be as well during that time. So we we try to help a lot of people, but sometimes that help doesn't translate into, you know, the doing part. And so we always say, you know, you guys deserve all the credit for that. For certain, but you also, you know, brought in an online sales program, uh, yes. found uh, the person to get started, going through the training, bringing all that up to speed. I'll never forget visiting at Denova during my onsite visit, and I was lucky enough to be there during one of the weekly sales calls. Yes, yeah. And this was early on in Lasso's implementation. Yes, and very early. just listening, listening to the salespeople give out their numbers of visitors or prospects in the system. And because I was a visitor and I didn't have to focus as closely, I would just look up and lasso live as people were saying numbers. And I was like, there's only 5% of these people are in the system here. What's, what's happening? So just to give people a, a quick sense of, uh, it wasn't instantaneous, but when you look at, when you look and think over a three-year period, mm-hmm. That's a lot. And especially yeah. for it to have, have ended out as well as it did 
it certainly had a team and, and Samantha uh, was a big addition to, to be able to grow your department there. How did you Absolutely. decide that was necessary? Because well, originally it was just you. Yeah. So we brought basically all of our marketing efforts in-house. So we weren't using an agency. Everything we were doing, e-blast, social ads, you know, we were doing it all in-house. So, and then on top of it, I, I also am in charge of all of the model merchandising, sales office designs, all of those other functions and being involved in new communities from, you know, when we start rolling them out with architecture and things like that. So I had a very full plate, which I think a lot of marketers do in our industry. And, you know, Denova saw the value of having an in-house team. And so we brought on Samantha and that was a total game changer in terms of, you know, I, after she came in, I was able to do a lot more reporting and that really helped our, you know, executive team to truly understand all of these efforts. I think one of the things that, you know, with digital marketing, you don't always see and get to touch it. And, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of the times I, I'll hear, well, where's my sign? Where's my sign? <laughs> and I said, right. well, it's, it's on social, <laughs> you know, it's not <laughs> on the road, but, um, and so yeah. to just oh, really, let's talk about signage. Cause that during that sales meeting was also the time where you had a sign spinner, oh, goodness, uh, yes. hit someone's car and flip them off or something. Yeah. That wasn't, that wasn't a good thing. Gosh, you had a really <laughs> exciting sales call with us. <laughs> oh, it was, it was incredible. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that quickly, um, that sign spinner didn't come back. So <laughs> well, when you were saying you don't always get to be involved directly and, and touch it, I, I was actually thinking more about from your perspective of, you know, originally you were rolling up your sleeves and getting in there yourself because there was no one else to do it. Yeah. And what's really great is then being able to elevate to the next level while also still retaining the skill set, although you didn't hopefully choose to use it as often because now you have help. Yes. Again, it goes back to that education mentality of you're able to remember what you took in, you know, your first year of class as a home builder marketer. Yeah. And you're building upon it, whereas a lot of people end up just getting kind of stuck. And and another great story that I love to tell about Linnea is we were building a landing page or we talked about the need to build a landing page for a project. Yeah, this was before our website went live. Yes. Yeah. And so I remember there was like a stack of invoices from the previous agency and somewhere in there, and they, they, I'm not saying they didn't do great work, but this just gives you a sense of why I say California is a different <sighs> place. There was a previous landing page that had been built or the proposal for it. I'm not sure if it had been done. I don't remember that part. It was like almost $10,000 for a landing page. And I was like, well, Linnea, there, we've got this tool called Unbalance. It's going to be $100 a month and you can make like 50 landing pages and it's really easy. And so I showed her and then I'm pretty sure I'm not exaggerating here. Within two weeks, Linnea had built out two levels I didn't even honestly know Unbounce could do. She had recreated basically her entire website in Unbounce because the current website was so behind. You couldn't, yeah. you couldn't get pricing without downloading a PDF. There was no contact. Like it was just, it was a terrible site. It was. But, yeah. You had rebuilt it in a tool that cost you $99 a month. And I was like, yeah. whoa, this has never happened before. Yeah, no, I mean, we started rolling out, you know, really great digital campaigns. And then they would go to this site that was just so archaic. And it was, you know, it, you know, we were in the process of developing the new site, but I just couldn't wait that long. And when you showed me Unbounce, I was like, okay, I can do this. And yeah, and um, she did I it have, so I well. Have to do it. <laughs> I think in the first month that everything was going to landing pages, and this this also tells you why we're we don't 
recommend that people use only landing pages for campaigns ever. I want to say there was a month where you had over 3,000 leads. Oh, yeah. And, it and was, the Delta it, was like from 150 of the old site to 3,000. It was just... It's like, and we didn't gonna... have our own OSC in place yet. So, you know, no. those are going directly to our sales team. And No. And yeah. thank goodness you didn't tell him what was there. Because I think if you were going to hire someone, certainly they'd be excited to have that many yeah. leads. But also, <laughs> that's a <laughs> right. lot for, for one yeah. person. So it tells you what Unbounce can do, what Linnea can do. Um, but also, I think it was great that you were able to kind of zoom out a little bit and and get involved on a more bigger view. Analysis is so important. Just like we talked about with design, the analysis part of marketing results and what is potentially causing sales to not happen is so critical once you have the basic foundations of digital. Like you, you know the levers and the buttons to push. Yeah. But now you've got to be very specific as to what problem are we trying to solve. Absolutely. And it brings me back to like the strategic side of everything. Like it was, you know, that allowed me to then really look at our campaigns, look at it, you know, in a deeper dive and really figure out, okay, this is working for this and this isn't working here. How can we shift it? And uh, we started running more beta tests and, and testing things out in terms of our, a lot of times in our social ads, but, you know, it just allowed us to be a little bit more strategic about how we were going about our targeting and just how we're spending our, our, our marketing dollars. Yep. Before we move on to the final part of your journey so far, mm -hmm. what would you say has been your superpower? If you had to, if you had to just pick one thing, we've talked about design, education, all kind of, kind of bigger concepts, but is there anything else that you would say is the one thing that has, has led to success in your personal career? I think for me, my superpower is I just totally want to understand how everything works that, you know, there were times where Andrew might show me, you know, oh yeah, no, I can set that up in Google, Google ads or whatever for you. And I'd be like, okay, great, but I'm going to do the next one. And you tell me what I broke or what I did mm -hmm. wrong for me. I, you know, I don't always need to do it every single time, but I, I want to understand how things work and really, really understand how things work and how I can improve it. So for me, it's, it's not just, you know, saying, okay, yeah, you, you have that capability, you do it. It's more like, I truly want to understand how things work and how to get it done. And that always makes us excited. In fact, sometimes it makes us sad when people are always like, okay, yeah, go ahead and do it. I mean, we're happy, we're happy to be a service for, for, for our builder partners, but the more exciting thing, and the only way you go from being really good to great is to at least have some percentage of the doing still being done internally, even if it's only small adjustments or updates on a continual basis, because you're there all the time yeah. and, and you always know what's happening in your local market and what your builder needs more so than any outside group is, is going to do. So I, I agree. Now let's talk about, let's flip it to your biggest weakness. Do you have a, you have a kryptonite that, oh. uh, I think it's saying no and, and, um, turning off my computer at night. <laughs> it's just, you know, so many times there will be a challenge that is put in front of me and I just, I'm like, okay, I can do that. Let me shuffle things around and I'll make that happen. And sometimes I almost overload my plate too full, you know, and it then allows me to have not as much time as I would like to spend on say a campaign or something else. And I get too excited too fast about different things. So I think, my kryptonite is not saying no. <laughs> so. And that's uh, got to be especially hard when 
you know, you and your husband both work, you've got two kids, how in this story, and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm guessing, especially over the last three and a half years, it's been particularly difficult. Mm-hmm. I have zero concept here. I have complete empathy for anyone that I've ever um, employed or managed. Like I don't, I don't even pretend to understand how people do it. I remember when I was at Heartland, you know, routinely during sales meetings or or all company meetings, uh, people would have to slip out to go pick up kids or do X, Y, and Z. And I've often also told my wife, like, you can absolutely go back to work. <laughs> like, I, I don't know how this will all work, but go back to work if you want to. It's always yeah. been her choice to stay at home. But I just, I've said many times, I would not be where I, where I am now for sure uh, if I had to be juggling the kind of things that, that you've got to be juggling. Any Anything that you want to share about how that's gone or tips you've it's learned? Definitely, it's definitely challenging. And before COVID, my husband was traveling a lot. And so yeah. I was the prime caregiver for our, for our girls. And I just remember driving home night after night after night. And it's like 5.30 and I'm rushing, rushing, rushing to get to you know, their aftercare program so that I, one, don't hit at post six o'clock because then they like every minute they just like yep. slam you with fees. <laughs> but also just thinking, it's so unfair to them. Like I just, I, you know, we get home, we rush home. We've been, are trying to do homework. They're exhausted. I'm trying to get food on the table. You know, I have emails maybe coming in. It's definitely challenging. So again, I think that just having, I need to, I try to work on this now as, you know, as often as I possibly can is that just having boundaries and saying, nope, I'm turning off at this time. I actually have um, before COVID, I had a, an alarm that went off every day to say, okay, you have a half an hour to wrap things up, Linnea, you got to go home. Um, no, because like I'm just, I'm one of those people who I'm like, oh, I can just, let me just answer this one more email, you know? And yeah. so I was just having a conversation with someone on our team and it's, it wasn't a bad conversation at all, but it was one thing I've noticed is I, I had a lot of similarities to you when I was younger. And as I get older and my kids, one, there's too many of them. Not, I didn't say that. Not too many, just enough, but there's four <laughs> and they're getting older and they were needy, especially with mom, obviously when they're younger, but they become more needy just in, like I thought when kids got older, they were more self-sufficient for some reason. Mom and dad is, is both like in every other second utterance. Yeah. Um, but just this idea of the, um, the one, the total amount of time in a day even if you wanted to, you mm-hmm. simply are not going to be able to continue pressing as hard in work as yeah. you were when you were younger. Absolutely. And, like I used to, no, yeah, no big deal. I'll hop back on that at eight o'clock or, you know, after dinner, my wife's going to go do something. I can hop back on and do some work. And, and now, you know, it just doesn't happen. I try to get out of my home office by six o'clock at the latest. And then we eat dinner and then it's bedtime and bath time. And, uh, husband and wife time hanging out, watching a show, whatever. And then you're just exhausted. And totally, if, yeah. you, if you make it back to the computer, it's, it's a rare day. So I think that's also part of probably what makes it hard for, for any, just generally for those listening, if you're younger in your career, you have to level up because like the total amount of time is just different. Like you, you can't, you can't always do it just with brute force anymore in terms of, I'm just going to keep working to make it happen because you're yeah. old and like, you want to sleep. Now yes. and then. Sleep is nice. Absolutely. 
Yeah, but it's definitely challenging. And, you know, I do like the fact that my girls see me working and, you know, see how hard I work. But at the same time, I also want them to see that I'm, I'm taking care of myself and, you know, putting myself first, because I think that's also really important for them to see. So, you know, I hate using the word balance, but it is it is a balancing act. So well, balance doesn't mean 50 50. That's not no. that's not the definition of balance. And quality of time versus length of time has to be taken into account. I mean, I'm, you know, when I go on vacation, I will still be doing workish things. But that's yeah. because I'm it's the workish things that I find relaxing. And mm-hmm vacation by definition is, is both balance and complete imbalance at the same time. You're not doing any work. Yeah. (laughs) And so, yeah, it's perfect balance isn't what you're trying to find. It's, it's, it's the right fit for, for you and your family. Absolutely. I mean, one of my biggest things that I'm, I'm missing right now working from home is just my commuting time because that was my time. And that's when I would like listen to my audible books or my podcasts. And, and so now I've taken to walking to just like, okay, you know what, that time is not in the car, but it is, you know, just get outside, get some fresh air by myself and, you mm-hmm. know, kind of have a moment. So, you know, carving yeah. out that time. Where has your journey led to you now? You're no longer with Tenova. Tell me where, more about where you are, what, what you're yeah. doing right now. So in February of this past year, 2020, I started at Trumark Homes. So Trumark is a builder developer and we're based in, we, have, we actually have offices in Northern California and San Ramon, which is just outside of San Francisco and offices um, down South and Newport Beach. and. I'm the marketing director for our Northern California division. Um, I'm doing a lot of the same stuff that I did at DeNova, you know, creating digital campaigns and copywriting content, website management reporting. Totally redoing websites within weeks of your arrival. Yeah. Yeah. They, they had their website design underway before I came on board, but that was, you know, jumping on board into that was great. And we just launched that last month. We also rolled out a new CRM program. We are on Lasso now. Um, so getting the sales team on board um, with that program, all in the mix of COVID, you know, happening. So it was, it's yeah. been crazy two months, I have to say. <laughs> and we all know this, but I'm going to say it out loud for all of us anyways. COVID has not been, it doesn't mean the same thing. And it's not the same reality in different parts of the country, depending on where yeah. you are. And so, so what has it been like? in terms of that experience in, in Northern California, especially where you're spending most of your time? Well, we've had extreme lockdowns here. So I, I live in Alameda County. And so we've had some of the tightest restrictions out of all of California. But, you know, one of the things I love about Trumark is that our work environment was so inspiring. It's, it's an absolutely beautiful work in, environment. And also just the creative energy that's going around the office and the collaboration that we, you know, are involved in and sort of we cross different disciplines at, at the office. Um, you know, I really do miss that. But at the same time, I feel like the company has really embraced the work from home and utilizing Zoom and go to meetings and connecting through those platforms and things like that have been great. And, you know, in terms of our sales and marketing team, it's actually brought us together because of the two divisions. We don't always get to have face-to-face conversations and interact with Mm. one another. And right as COVID hit, we were rolling out our CRM system. So we basically jumped on weekly trainings where the SoCal team and the NorCal team were together. We were going through lasso training. We were doing bomb bomb training. We 
rolled all of our teams out onto BombBomb and just talking about holding virtual appointments, you know, what's working, what's not working, collaborating on things, um, hearing, you know, sort of win stories for certain sales teams. And it actually was a, it was great. I mean, I, I, it really fast tracked me into getting to know the Southern California sales team uh, much faster than I would have if we didn't have COVID. <laughs> so yeah, it, it's an interesting point because I remember at Heartland, we were based in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but we had communities in Morgantown, West Virginia, which was a good hour and 15 minutes, sometimes an hour and a half South. And we would use video conferencing at times with the sales team down there to save time. And it, but it, but it still felt probably from their end, like we weren't as invested. And so to be able to use video conferencing and also feel like, um, no one's missing out sometimes in, in that setting, especially people aren't used to it. One of the, one side on the video call is, you know, happy that they're saving time. The other side might be thinking, Oh gosh, I wish, I wish they were actually here. This would be so much nicer, better. I'd get more done, but the ability to bring yeah. remote teams together is just not a perspective I would have had probably because it do you convert we're all in different states anyway. Yeah. So that's good. Well, point. And I think also our teams are feeling a little uneasy and uncertain about the environment. You know, all of our sales offices were closed. Um, how are we going to sell homes? What's the expectation? And I think by us coming together you know, it one allowed for a platform to ask questions like that, but it also, you know, when there was an issue, like how do we do X, Y, and Z? We're like, well, let's figure that out. Let's make that happen. And so mm -hmm. really hearing what tools the sales team needed to be put in place and really just um, pivot and make it happen for them. So if anything, I think that the sales teams have really embraced the CRM system, which is not always the case with sales teams because we had this really in-depth training, which I don't think we would have had otherwise. We just wouldn't have carved out that time. And I have to say, like they're doing a phenomenal job. So I'm really proud of all of them. Let's wrap up with one final question, which would be if you were sending a message, sometimes I think about this podcast as like a time capsule, even for my own kids, potentially someday. I know it's weird, but that's just how my head works. <laughs> if you were going to leave a time capsule message to your younger self about what's in what to do what what's the most important lessons to 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 tell yourself to be prepared for as you get involved in in marketing in the new home industry what would be a couple of things or or your favorite thing that you would want to make sure you communicate and that's hard i, I know that's a hard it question is, it Sorry. is a hard question <laughs> you know i think what i would want to tell my younger self is just really love what you do and your work environment. I think it's so important just to always feel like you're being inspired and that you're learning. And so, you know, making sure that you're putting yourself in that space. And for me, I'm constantly reading books and listening to podcasts and, and just wanting to absorb more and more and more. And so I would just say, don't stop that, like continue that. But also as you're trying to go after your career path, it's also, you know, <laughs> saying no and having those limits, you know, those limits in place that will allow you to also grow personally as well. Mm -hmm. So as much as it's important to be growing professionally, I think that it's carving out that time and space um, to also just have time, you know, family, friends, that kind of stuff. So. I love it. I think avoiding that sense of arrival in terms of w the idea that one day you would say, you know what, I don't need to listen to podcasts anymore. I don't need to read anything else. Like, uh, 
I got this job down. Like that's when you should be thinking about retiring or moving on. Yeah, no. Or doing something love, else for sure. There's there's always something else out there. So yeah, there's always something, you know, to learn. Yep. Awesome. Well, thanks, Linnea, for hopping on with us today. Really yeah, looking thanks, forward to Kevin. seeing your career continue to grow. I have no idea which home builder you will end up running from <laughs> top to bottom, but I look forward to to seeing it happen. Well, thank you, Kevin. This was fantastic. So thank you. Right. You bet. Would you watch your back? You watch your back. You're growing out in the back of your head. You're ripping another sneak attack. Sneak attack. You must be keeping secret weapons in your fanny pack. You're like my laughing gas. You got the can to dance. You're like Lance on the mountain in the Tour de France. You got a wingspan spanning the globe. You got gold and you're teaching us all to let go. All right, Becca, what's this week's question of the week? How do you handle sold out communities on your website currently? So do you take them off? Pretend they never happened? <laughs> and make Andrew and the rest of the Peak family sad. Oh, come on. Do you have a process where you keep them there in some type of limited fashion? Do you take them off the menu but leave the page fully? Do you use Unbounce or some other tool to create pop ups and, and reroute people? Do you just put in a redirect straight to another page on the site and call it a day? As long as that redirect isn't the home page, I might be okay with that. Maybe. <laughs> how, how do you handle sold out communities on your website currently? Is this week's question of the week? And that'll do it for this week. For published articles, blog posts, videos, and more, check out doyouconvert.com. It's also the best way to find out how to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and everywhere else we are online. We will see you again next week. See ya. See ya.